Welcome to the Global Fluency Podcast. This is a space we've created to explore the components of diversity, inclusion, and cultural competency. Cultural competency. And all of the ways in which these components present themselves in our professional and personal lives. Be it language, culture, socioeconomic class, gender, race, ability level, age, or so many other identifiers. Everything begins with a conversation. conversation. Join us in this space where we seek to empower, educate, and uplift by creating authentic conversations on issues that affect us every day in every way. We look forward to you joining us in our discussions with everyone from thought leaders, diversity and inclusion strategists, students to CEOs in the corporate, education, and nonprofit sectors. Let's discuss how we can better understand differences and leverage commonalities. Let's do away with political correctness, explore ideation, build community, and create allies. Let's start an authentic conversation. This is the Global Fluency Podcast. And this is Bertine Crevacore West. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Global Fluency Podcast. My name is Bertine Crevacore West, and I'm delighted to be your host for today. Today, I have a very special guest with me, Ms. Crystal M. Cherry, which is such a fabulous name, I might add. But <laughs> Crystal, can you say hi to our listeners? Hello. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good morning, everyone. And tell everyone, where are you joining us from? I am in Atlanta, Georgia. Excellent, excellent. So we are neighbors, really. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much for joining us for today's topic that I'm very excited about. We're going to be talking about board diversity, something that is not discussed often enough, in my opinion. And Crystal, everyone, is an expert in this. And so I'm going to tell you a bit more about her. So Crystal is a nationally recognized nonprofit executive and professionally trained fundraiser with over 20 years of experience in the nonprofit sector. She's supported higher education institutions, human services organizations, and faith-based missions. Now, as the CEO of The Board Pro, a consulting firm designed to transform leaders through board service, she customizes training and support for the unique needs of each client. Crystal earned a master's in counseling from Hampton University, shout out to everyone in Hampton, a BA in liberal arts from Hofstra University, back in on my old stomping grounds in New York, so shout out to everybody at Hofstra, and a multiple professional development certifications. So she currently serves on the board of the Greater Atlanta Chapter of the Association of Fundraising Professionals and the Villages of Carver, YMCA. She's on the faculty at Candid and a guest presenter with Bloomberg, where she teaches courses and leads webinars in fundraising and board development. She also enjoys a membership in the African American Development Officers Network, Toastmasters. So shout out to all of our listeners from Toastmasters because <laughs> we have some here. And F3, Fabulous Female Fundraisers, which she founded. So Crystal, a warm welcome Thank from you. one fellow New Yorker transplant to another. Absolutely. Um, welcome Thank to the Global Fluency Podcast. Thank you for having me, homie. <laughs> oh, for sure, right? For sure. And everybody, I just want to say, Crystal and I, when we first started talking, not only are we both New Yorkers, we were from the same neighborhood. I got to tell you, that almost never happened that <laughs> any of my guests have been from the same neighborhood, knows the bus stops <laughs> that I used to be on, the street name. So I'm super happy to have you here. So as you said, welcome, homie. You are at home. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm so looking forward to just having this conversation with you 
Because when we talk, um, when we're in the green room and when we've talked previously, this topic is one that I find to be very important. And while most people discuss diversity, they don't talk about diversity as a tool necessarily or diversity as a building block. Diversity, I think, is like allyship sometimes it's discussed as a noun, but not necessarily a verb, right? So we want to see the action behind diversity, which is why I was so excited to have you be here with us. So tell us a bit about your professional background and your training and your company. Thank you. Thank you. So as you've mentioned, I am a trained fundraiser. I've been working in the nonprofit space for 20 plus years as a fundraiser. I started out in higher ed, uh, working for many uh, colleges and universities, uh, including my alma mater, Hampton University and Spelman College. And then I worked at the United Negro College Fund for eight years, nice. uh, left there after I adopted my baby and took some time off and came back and worked in the seminary space, the faith-based space in uh, higher ed for seminaries. Mm-hmm. I worked with pastors and bishops in fundraising. And then after that, decided to go into human services and started working with the homeless, which I really enjoyed. And then working with those who are in the hunger insecure space and education gap space. And so I've had a well-rounded career in the nonprofit sector working as a fundraiser. And then I thought, you know what, I'm ready to now consult and train. So I began uh, my consulting career at the Georgia Center for Nonprofits, where I was a consultant and a uh, faculty member and started to teach courses on fundraising and board development. And I really enjoyed that. And then after that, decided that I was going to step out on my own and start my own firm. And so now I'm doing this work on my own as the board pro. And so I am loving it. That is a phenomenal story. And really the the trajectory of your career, it was like you were adding on, adding on, adding on, and it all prepared you for this moment, which I love. And not to mention being a mom, right? Um, That was added extra work time and joy, of course, but that's a lot to do. And I love how you've you've made it all into your company now where you can help others and serve directly, which is fantastic. Absolutely. Thank you. Oh my gosh. So tell me a bit about your experience with the diversity and inclusion journey. Yeah. So as I mentioned, working at the Georgia Center for Nonprofits, not only was I a faculty member, but I was able to one of the perks of working there was that you get to get enjoy all of the free trainings. And so I was able to benefit from the experience of so many uh, folks in the nonprofit sector who are seasoned and polished and who are talented. And so I um, got several certifications while I was there and was able to train under some of the most renowned trainers in this space, and which prepared me for the work that I do now. And then once I left, I, I took all what I learned plus what I've been researching and learning on my own. And now I use it in my, in my own work with, where I go and train boards and individuals at nonprofits on board work, on DEI work, on how to fundraise, anything that's going to help them to advance their organizations forward. So I feel like my training has really prepared me for the place I'm in right now. Yes, it has prepared you, honestly, in so many ways to empower so many different, not only companies, right, but communities, which yes. I think that's an important part of having a board and, and the structure that that board brings and what that board's able to do for countless people due to their collective efforts. So yes. I, I serve on a board and I love being on it uh, because they do care about board diversity. Which And it's one of the, I used to serve on others, but this one was the one I said I want to stick with because they really were about it, you know? And so to see them work 
and, and do all that they do. So I'm going to shout them out real quick. Shout out to Guide Inc. Um, they are a nonprofit upon which I'm, I serve as a board member, for which I serve as a board member. So I always want to give them their props because I know they're listening too. Um, <laughs> but so then, Crystal, I want you to tell me, after all that you learn, share with our listeners, why do you think board diversity is important? What value does it bring? And is it relevant to an organization's success overall? You know, interestingly enough, I think more than 80% of board chairs realize that board diversity is important, but they've not made it a priority just yet. And I'm not sure exactly why. Um, They realize that their boards need to be more diverse. They realize they need to have more representation from people who who are from other groups. Uh, And yet, you know, 90% of board chairs are, um, are white. And most board members are still white, even in organizations that traditionally serve black and brown populations. And so there's still a lot of work to be done in this area. Um, And I just, I I think it's important because the lived experiences of board members, I mean, of course, best practices are good as well, but the lived experiences of board members, you know, that's the best barometer for for making decisions that are going to impact the lives of, of marginalized people. So not having diverse thoughts and diverse voices on your board it's going to be a detriment to an organization and to a board. So I just think it's so important for them to, to include those who have the lived experiences of, the, of those they're serving and maybe not, but who, who speak the language, who eat the food, who listen to the music. And so it's just really important that this work is done. And more and more organizations are looking into it now, particularly since we've had some social unrest this year, mm-hmm. uh, thankfully. Uh, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Indeed, indeed. That number, that statistic surprises me, though, because it's it's so much higher than I had even thought it would be. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad to see that we are, you know, due to many reasons, particularly, as you mentioned, the social unrest moving in the right direction. And we're using this to, to serve as a catalyst um, to catapult us into a better board space, right? Yes. I do think when you do have a diverse board, you, you have more voices, you have, you know, people who might not get a chance to be at that table, to literally be at the table now, right? right. Have real impact. And I love what you said about lived experiences. I do feel like that is the best barometer. It really gives everyone not only another, or not only a broadened perspective, right, of, of what the world actually looks like, what our spaces actually, you know, look like, but it also gives us the chance to be empathetic right? And more compassionate. So it opens the door to all of those things for us. Absolutely. And, you know, the right voices and beliefs, they, they need to be implemented into some of the policies and practices of board. For instance, in your bylaws, you can implement policies that state that your board should resemble the constituents that you serve. So I once worked at a homeless shelter um, and one of the bylaws that they had was that there had to be at least one person on their board who was formerly homeless. And mm, I okay. thought that was really important because you know, for a whole bunch of folks to be sitting around a room making decisions about homeless people mm-hmm. when no one has actually knows what it likes, what it's like to be homeless, right. uh, to, to what it's like to be in that space. Uh, you know, when I was in graduate school many moons ago, uh, I was getting a master's degree in counseling. And one of our assignments in my multicultural uh, counseling class was that we had to emerge ourselves into a culture uh, that was different than our own. Mm. And so I chose back then, not knowing years later, I was going to be working in the homelessness space. I guess I had an affinity and a love for it back then. I chose um, to emerge myself into the homelessness uh, space. And so I flew to New York City and pretended to be homeless for a day. You know, I'm a New Yorker, so I knew the city. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't know uh, was that the homeless population, particularly in the area where I chose to be, 
they all know one another. And so I got kicked off a few corners. Oh my goodness. That is insane. But you know what? I commend you for just even having that forethought to really, like when you talk about immersing yourself really and truly that, and especially in New York, because that also, that can be, it, it's not always safe, right? For, for homeless people out there. It's, and it's, so I can only imagine as somebody that wasn't familiar with that space, what it was like to navigate that, right? And right. And so just trying to make myself look and feel what they would look and feel, you know, have my clothes, you know, what kind of dirty and raggedy, you know, constantly looking down. I had made a little sign. I had a little cup. I, I must have made that sign over four or five times because I didn't know what was the right thing to say. Oh my God. Um, so I was really trying to be authentic in this. And what, what I found was that they were very territorial about who was on what corner and they right. didn't know me. Mm-hmm. Uh, they knew they knew one another, but they didn't know me, and so I got kicked off a couple of coins. I did get a, I did get a little change. People threw mm-hmm. some they threw money at you. It was cold. I was I intentionally went in the wintertime when it was cold, so I was uncomfortable, and I know that's what they feel, and I wanted right. to feel that. Um, and so, you know, not having had that experience would make it difficult to serve on a board to really understand. I mean, even just doing that one day, I'm sure I still don't have the full experience because after one day I went back to my nice warm home, but um, just for a few hours, I was uncomfortable and I was hungry and, you know, I had to use the public bathroom and all the things that we know that the advantages and the luxuries that we get that people Mm -hmm. who are homeless don't have. And so I was able to emerge myself in that culture. Now, all board members are not going to be able to do that, but if you have someone on your board who's had that lived experience, they're right. certainly going to bring a different voice to your to your board when you're making decisions about that population. And I think that's really what's most important. Most definitely, most definitely. And I'm just imagining this in my mind's eye as you're telling me this and just seeing you kind of go through these motions that, that really were impactful for you, right? And gave you uh, an empathetic and compassionate eye. Already you had one though, but to be in that environment, to immerse yourself in really that particular culture, because every group of people, if you have two people, there is a culture that is formed, right? So to even understand the the culture, the hierarchy, the societal norms within the homeless population, right? Because that's the only way you could navigate yourself through that. I think that is so important because it gives us a further insight into who these people are and also hone in that they are people, right? right? That they are individuals that they, I always say to myself, no one was born into that position in life, right? So what happened? Um, I always really think about the story. What happened that that person found themselves here? Because sometimes it's a societal letdown, right? Um, right. Sometimes it's a month's rent that makes all the difference between being in a home and being a homeless person and then carrying that social stigma and burden and and that that physical and mental and emotional burden with you right, right. so i always get concerned about the backstory like how did you end up here and why is no one helping you get out of this right so but yeah, we can go on about that you know and having worked in the shelter i was able to read and and um, talk to some of the folks who came in so i know i learned about their stories and they were just regular people like you and I, some of them were college educated, some of them were married, um, had families who cared about them and just found themselves in precarious situations. Um, most of our families back then were single female led. And so many times it was as a result of some kind of domestic you know, abuse or domestic situation where they had to flee 
And so there were a lot of reasons why they were homeless. But if you didn't understand that, it would be difficult for you to, to serve on that board. Absolutely. And even taking into the consideration the amount of our homeless people that are veterans and that are dealing with mental health issues, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes they are homeless because a mental health facility can no longer accommodate them and they are simply let go into the world with no sort of anchor, no sort of support. So I think, you know, taking all of this into consideration, especially when you're on a board, that will really change the trajectory of a board. So I commend you on on doing the work like that, you know, because that's an extraordinary thing to do. So I commend you on doing that. It was the craziest thing I've ever done. (laughs) And you know what? That's okay. Crazy sometimes is the best way to get from point A to point B. Okay. (laughs) But you know, you have to have the courage to do things sometimes. And that's what I've learned all, you know, all these years is that sometimes you just got to jump in, you know, and, you know, playing it safe is not going to get you anywhere, but sometimes just having the courage to go out there and just figure it out. And so that's what I wanted to do. And that's what I've done in many areas of my life, but that was one of the craziest things I've done. So So you know what? I'm even going to give you a little pushback on that. I'm going to replace crazy with courageous, right? Because that doesn't mean fearless, but it means having the courage to do something that nobody else is doing, right? I'm going to say you were courageous in that. (laughs) Thank you. So I want you to tell me, what does a divorce board look like to you? Because I know what it looks like to me in my mind, but I want you to share what, and, and there's no wrong or right answer to this, right? Because we, we all can bring a, another level to this, but to you as the, the expert on board diversity, tell me what that looks like. Yeah. So a diverse board has a variety of thoughts, opinions, people with different racial, ethnic, gender, financial, academic backgrounds. Um, And so what I normally do when I'm recruiting board members, particularly if they're looking for diverse board members, is I make my board chair and the board governance committee fill out a matrix and so that we can figure out what skills do they need for this board? Like what exactly do you know, do they need to make this board ideal? So the matrix usually has has them fill out. They have certain categories where they have to fill out the gender, you know, the race, academic background, financial background. And then what skills that they have. And so once we, f- we fill out that matrix for all of our board members, then we can take a look and see where the gaps are. Oh, my goodness. We all have all white males and no females. OK, we need more women. Or oh, our board is all, you know, 75 years old and older. <laughs> we need some new, fresh voices. You know? <laughs> you know, we're serving a Latino organization and we don't have any Latinos on our board. That's a red light, a red flag right there. Yes. And so once you complete those that matrix, it really helps to kind of reveal the gaps that are on that board and what you need to be uh, to to be an ideal board to make your organization run smoothly. So I think having diverse voices, opinions, backgrounds, all of that is going to make a huge difference. And it's going to vary depending on the board. But we know now that younger board members have a tendency to jump right in, roll up their sleeves, and they're not scared to ask for money. So um, having some younger people on your board too makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. I love that you mentioned all those um, different aspects of diversity, but particularly generational diversity, because that can have such a benefit. We get the the wisdom and the foundation set by traditionalists, but then, you know, we have the, the exuberance, you know, of the millennials coming in, right? And as you said, they are not bound um, by more traditional beliefs. And so they're not worried about asking for money. They have no problem doing it. Right. <laughs> so, so for instance, Gen Z's, you wouldn't even think of Gen Z's because you think, oh, they're too young to serve on boards. But you know, they bring a host of 
information and wealth. So they're really concerned about the planet. Mm -hmm. They're really concerned about having their families involved in volunteer work. Most of them have already made a charitable donation. So yeah, so knowing all those things, I would love to have someone on my board who's interested in recycling or someone who's interested in having family members come and volunteer. That means I would have to have opportunities where the board members can bring in their family members. And so I think there's a whole host of ways that we can make our board diverse that we don't even think about. Love it. Love it. So tell us how, like, what are some ways that we can go about recruiting diverse board members? What does that look like? Now we would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor. Westbridge Solutions is a professional training company focusing on diversity, inclusion, cultural competence, and soft skills trainings. Westbridge Solutions offers a variety of innovative training courses, both in-person and online, live and self-paced. Their clients include corporations, government organizations, healthcare organizations, the nonprofit sector, universities, and individuals such as yourself. Through their rigorous training programs, trainees learn to understand differences, leverage commonalities, and achieve organizational, professional, and personal actualization. To learn more about Westbridge Solutions, please feel free to visit their website at www.westgrouptraining.com or follow them on social media on Facebook and Instagram. Westbridge Solutions, empowering professionals for success. Yeah. So, you know, local civic and professional organizations like the organization where I'm on the board, the Association of Fundraising Professional, some community foundations. I know there's a women's foundation here in Atlanta. A lot of them have job boards where they actually post. A lot of them have like the United Way here in Atlanta has a volunteer involvement program, which I am an alumna of, uh, where they actually train individuals how to serve on boards. It's like a six or eight week program. Mm-hmm. And they give you all the soups and nuts about board work. And then afterwards, they try to place those of us who graduate from the program on board. So they're always looking for nonprofits for which there are open board seats. There are groups on Facebook, the um, NPOC Unicorn um, Group, which is a people of color nonprofit professional group. The African-American Development Officers Network that I mentioned. Uh, Bridgespan has a job board where you can actually post job openings. I go and look at those at all the time. Um, so there are all kinds of places where we can go, but people probably don't think, you know, you have civic leaders who are members of fraternities and sororities, mm-hmm. you know, the, the divine nine, I would definitely reach out to some of them. They always have access to, to individuals who might be looking. So uh, if you're really looking to diversify your board, there are lots of ways to do that, but definitely looking at your local leaders first, your local community foundations, United Way. And like I said, some of those job boards, uh, MPOC, Unicorn, AADO, and then there are organizations like BoardSource, BoardNet USA that also also have board postings and also looking to match people with board seats. I love it. And for all of our listeners, we will include these these resources in the show notes for you. So don't worry, we're not going to leave you hanging. You will see them (laughs) as well. But I I really love that you said getting educated on how to serve on a board, because I will say um, locally here, I was I'm an alumnus of a group called Leadership Gwinnett. And so by the time that I was done with that and we graduated, it was um, a year long program. And the one component that they offered us, which I found I found so many things um, useful, helpful, you know, which helped expand my knowledge of my county because it's a countywide organization. 
but it was about board training. And I remember thinking to myself, I had served on um, previous boards for my profession when I was an interpreter, right? And that was really different. But I did not know, you know, that there was so much that you should know about a board and that you should vet a board before you serve on that Absolutely. board with their financials and all this stuff. And I mean, when I left, I was just like, oh my, you know, and part of why I wanted to learn was so I can add value to the board that I'm serving on, right? Yes. Because I think a lot of times what, what I used to see was people serving on boards. They're like, oh, I'm a part of this board and that was the accolade. But for me, I wanted the accolade to be the value that I bring. Right. Yes. What unique gift can I contribute? And is it a right fit for me too? Right. right? Because I, I don't want to be the only one serving on a board that not only looks like me, but because uh, sometimes I am the only one that looks like me in a, in a corporate space. Right. But I don't want to be the only one that necessarily thinks like me, that has, you know, my worldview, my, my life experiences. I, I welcome the differences. But like you and I were talking about this when we were um, off air a while back. Um, and we were talking about, and I'd love it if you could share it with our audience too. Um, you mentioned to me a story about, you know, someone who had been asked to be on a particular board and then he did not feel a sense of belonging on that board. And then he left, right? Would you like to share that story? Yeah. I mean, we've had that happen multiple times and uh, we've had people leave boards because of offensive comments that people have made to them who they felt they've not felt included. They feel like they're being marginalized or their ideas are not really taken seriously. But yeah, there are people, I think in the particular case we were talking about it, it was someone who was asking questions. And you know, you should always ask questions. You know, it's being on a board and taking a board seat. It's like taking a job. It's a it really is. <laughs> and it really you really is. need to you really need to vet and interview um, some members of that board and the board chair. Who is the executive director of this organization? Who is the board chair? How are people onboarded? Are there are the bylaws reviewed and updated regularly? Are there board dues? What is the time commitment? Uh, you know, how often will the board meet? Mm -hmm. um, these are questions that we should ask. And now these days, you know, with all the social unrest, you know, how are your donors of, of color engaged with this organization? Has there ever been a, a person of color in the board seat, in the board chair seat? Yeah, how are the how how many blacks and brown staff do you have at this nonprofit? Are their salaries comparable? With, I mean, I would you know now that I know what to do and what to ask, I would go all in before making a decision whether or not I'm going to serve on a board because whether your board has liability insurance, right? We know that's important. Yes, you're protected as a board member, and so these oh are the things. God you need to ask, mm -hmm. but you know, board members also have rights. You know, there's a board member's bill of rights and there's certain rights as a board member that you have. And so these are the things that I talk about with my clients so that, you know, they, they go in knowing before they make a commitment, they go in knowing what they're getting themselves into. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have to tell you, my, my training was, was short. It was an hour and a half, but I can only imagine how in-depth you get with your clients and it's yes. much needed. It's really necessary because, you know, initially, and I know I speak on behalf of so many people, when you're first asked to be on a board, you're just honored, right? Yes. You're like, oh, of course. And then you get into it and you're like, this is a job with responsibilities, yes. right? And I just think, you know, knowing that part 
I want to do my best, but I need information on how to behave, what I, is expected of me. And right. so now I never say yes unless I have certain questions answered, right? Because A, too, we need to think about the time commitment. And I think a lot of people don't take that into consideration, Absolutely. right? And that's just the tip of the iceberg. And what if a particular, you know, board has some scandal attached to it or the nonprofit itself is yes. you know, having some legal issues? Tell me about that because I need to know if I'm going to associate not only my name, but my reputation, my brand, and my company and my finances with that. Absolutely. Right? So I think all of those questions matter so much. Oh my gosh. I can talk to you all day about this, but we have more questions. Okay. (laughs) So let me ask you this. What should boards do to make everyone feel included? Well, I think having some social time before the board meeting starts to allow people to really kind of get to know one another, being sensitive about the kind of music that you're playing, the food that you're, you know, that you're that you're serving, how it represents the traditions of all board members. Um, And I always tell the story about the first time I was ever exposed to hummus. Um, That was not something that I grew up eating. And I don't know about you. We never ate hummus in in, in New York City and Queens. I I live and breathe for hummus. I I love hummus so much. (laughs) <laughs> I do too now, but you know, I remember the first board meeting where they served it and I was like, where's the food? What is this? You know? And so I was willing to try it. And as it turns out, I loved it. But my point is, is that sometimes, you know, we, we don't think about who's on our board and what kind of food I'll be serving. So I, that was just a really interesting and fun experience for me. But attending cultural events that allow board members to, to learn other cultures. You know, I remember um, I was on the board and we decided to do a day of giving for another organization, which uh, was my idea. So we had board shirts made and we, um, one of the board members who was Jewish, he um, was a member of the Atlanta Jewish Found- Federation and, w- and they have a, a walk, a hunger walk every year. And so mm-hmm. our board decided to register and we walked in the hunger walk for this other nonprofit. And we walked together, we had our board shirts on. And while we're walking, we're getting to know each other, you know, there was music playing along the way. There were bands playing. People were handing out music and clapping and, you know, cheering us on. And we were laughing and talking about each other's kids. And it was just a way for us to get to know one another outside of a boardroom space. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we all had on our printed T-shirt that with our board member on the back. And so we felt a sense of connection. And I think it's those kinds of things that you have to, you know, to do to make board members really feel like they're a part of what's going on and that they matter. The fact that we were volunteering at a Jewish organization because one of our Jewish board members really felt passionate about their work. And we all decided to give that organization some love and made that board member feel really, really um, important and heard. And I think that's the kind of stuff we have to do. And I love that you mentioned that and gave that example as well, because that really illustrates creating a sense of community and belonging. Right. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to to like any job. Right. No one wants to show up feeling that they have to. Right. Mm-hmm. People want to show up. And I think are more authentic when they do show up and more productive when they want to. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. I always say if, if there is a board meeting that you're not looking forward to going to, you need to reevaluate why that is. Right. And how you can change it if you want to stay committed to the board you know, and, and the, the message of that nonprofit. But, you know, that is, belonging is a big deal, I think, in really creating a space for people to to show up ready and eager and happy to do the work, right? right. So I love that you gave that example. And then, you know, Bertine, I was also going to say, you know, like board meeting culture. So where are you holding your board meetings, right? And so if your board meetings are in the suburbs and, you, and some of your board members who live in the city don't have cars, Mm-hmm. then it'll make it difficult for them to get to a board meeting. Or if you have your board meeting at a time 
you know, that seven o'clock in the morning or six o'clock in the evening, which is a lot of times when folks have them. But if you have single moms on your board, um, then being able to make board meetings at those times would be difficult, difficult and challenging. Right. And so if you have a board member who's taking the train in uh, home from from a board meeting in the evening, now it's dark, eight o'clock, the board meeting, this board member now has to walk to the train station for three blocks by herself to, to get home. No one's thought that through. And so, you know, just really taking a look at your board, your board, see who's traveling from where, you know, understand their lifestyle so that you'll know what times, what locations are really going to make it so that people can really attend comfortably and not feel some kind of way about having to walk home by themselves or have to jump through hoops to get there at seven o'clock in the morning, make babysitter arrangements and things like that. I, I couldn't agree with you more because now you're taking me back um, about when, when I was serving as a, a board member on another board and I remember their meetings were their meetings didn't end until nine at night and then they would go into overtime and I would think to myself I live an hour away from the meeting location I've been working all day I'm exhausted and now we can't even stick to the time that we're supposed to stop like that my productivity at that point is going to just shoot downwards and so it's one of those things that I just was always like can we not finish on time right be respectful of time Oh my goodness. And so <laughs> I'm going to ask you one more question. Okay. So Crystal, tell me how, well, what are two things that you'd like to impart upon our listeners about board diversity and the importance of board diversity before we conclude? Yes, that's a really good question. So, um, you know, the two things I want to share that if your board needs DEI training work done, you need to go ahead and schedule that. You can, you know, you can reach out to me. I'm happy to support you or find a consultant that you think works good with your, would be great to work with your board, but do it. Secondly, this is voluntary work, right? This is not something you can force on people. People have to be ready to invest time, resources, and do the work, participate in the work that will really help them to grow and become ambassadors. Of, of this diversity and equity work. It's not so, something you can force people to do. So those are the two things. I'd say start with where you are, make change by reaching out to a consultant who can support you um, and realize that only those who are really ready to do this work are going to jump in and do it wholeheartedly. Love it. I love this. I, I feel like we can have, you have to come back on the show. I'm inviting you now. So I do want you to come back because there's so much that we can unpack just from this episode, but there's so much more to discuss, right? In the meantime, tell our listeners where they can get in contact with you. Where are your social media channels? How can we find you to benefit from your expertise further? Well, thank you, Bertie, for asking. So my website is theboardpro.com. I do have a LinkedIn page, Crystal M. Cherry, and I do have a Facebook page, The Board Pro. So those are all the ways that you can get in touch with me uh, as of this moment. Excellent. Excellent. So Crystal, my homie from New York, I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for being here. I really, I learned so much during this, this interview, and I know that our listeners are going to benefit from this greatly. So I'm looking forward to you making a return to the Global Fluency Podcast. And thank you just for sharing your time, your expertise, and thank you for all that you do to continue to not only educate and enlighten, but to inform and empower. Thank you so much for having me. I can talk about this all day long, so I can't wait to come back. Thank you so much. And Happy New Year. Thank you. Thank you. Happy New Year, everybody. I almost forgot. <laughs> so, so everyone, remember, this is your podcast. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. Let us know what other topics you would like for us to discuss. We really want to be responsive 
to any of your DEI. We really want to be responsive to any and all of your DEI concerns, issues, topics of interest. So remember to reach out to us at the Global Fluency Podcast. A special shout out to all of our patrons on Patreon too. So we thank you so much. And I want to um, just welcome you all to the first edition of the Global Fluency Magazine. So if you haven't gotten it, get it now. You really will enjoy it, I guarantee you. So once again, I am your host for Team Crevacore West. I'm delighted to be here with you. And remember to keep the conversation going. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Global Fluency Podcast. Tune in every Tuesday of the month at 10 a.m. for our latest episode. Connect with us on our social media. You can find us on Facebook at Global Fluency Podcast and on Instagram at Westbridge Solutions, LLC. Global Fluency Podcast. Understanding differences, leveraging commonalities. Let's keep the conversation going, going, going.